Hello, I'm Scott Guzman, and this is 508, a show about Worcester. Ladies and gentlemen, it's December 4th, 2009. I'm Mike Benedetti. Brendan Malikin. Good morning. Heather, Heather, what's your last name? McKenzie. Heather McKenzie and Diamond Drew Wilson. <laughs> How's it going, guys? Doing pretty good. I haven't been called Diamond in like a year and a half. I like good. it. <laughs> um, so this week, of course, I think the big news in Worcester is the 10th anniversary of the cold storage fire. And uh, I don't think that we can add a lot to this discussion. A link to Worcester Magazine has a nice blog post about this and really some really beautiful photos online. Um, what's the top story other than that, guys? Um, this week, I think it's going to be uh, tax rate, which is not really a story. The city council did what they always did, uh, always do, and set the uh, tax rate for the city as the lowest residential tax rate, which means by default the highest business tax rate. So it means that for why, wait, why does it mean it has to be the highest business tax rate? Because somebody has to pay for stuff in Worcester. Okay. Um, yeah, it's it's that's that's the way it falls. Uh, so taxes will end up increasing um, a few grand for on average for local businesses. Are we talking about property tax? Yes. And uh, for residents, it's going to stay about even, but it's kind of a confusing the way the system actually works because assessments change from year to year, so the taxes actually still increase a bit for uh, local residents. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and nobody's really thrilled about that except for the, the folks um, who are, act as activists for residents to keep that lowest residential tax rate. Um, I think the bigger complaints are that you know we're driving business out into the surrounding towns, uh, especially larger manufacturing businesses. Um, you know uh, the types of places that provide blue collar jobs and, and what have you are seating themselves in Shrewsbury, Auburn, you know, Leicester, what have you, uh, and we're just running ourselves dry here. Uh, sooner or later we'll figure that out though when we don't have any uh, essential services left in the city. Awesome! I'm looking forward to that day. I <laughs> can't wait. Um, <laughs> the lights just go out. <laughs> like uh, finally. There's a ton of there's a ton of stuff actually happening this weekend. Even though like the biggest news this week, I guess, is the sad anniversary of something that happened 10 years ago, and business as usual, tax wise, we have a lot of things coming up. Especially, what's the most important thing this weekend? The um, Worcester Energy Barn Raisers um, weatherization at the Woo Church on Saturday. What is this, Heather? All right. So what we're doing is we're doing all these different projects to make the Woo Church and, well, any other building that wants to, um, but the Woo Church this time, um, just more energy efficient. So we're, like, blocking up, like, different, you know, holes, doing, like, caulking around the windows, stuff like that, um, to just insulate the building better and help the Woo Church save money. Um, so... Uh, the Woo Church is this really great organization in Worcester, as everyone knows. They do like a lot of things for the community, and so we're trying to help them save energy and also sort of work on this environmental activism um, aspect of it, um, just to, you know, not use so much energy um, and not waste so much as it just you know, goes out the holes of this really old, great building. So, Scott, why is the energy bond raising awesome? is awesome because simultaneously we are able to inform the community about ways that they can improve the energy efficiency in their home as well as empowering them to actually do this work volunteer voluntarily in community spaces. So if you're like, I would like to weatherize my house but I am not handy, you can go there and you'll get handy. Exactly. You'll be able to um, pick up these skills relatively easily. Um, most of them are relatively um, easy to do, things like um, um, caulking and insulation of door sweeps and various other ways of um, improving the um, the seal on your home and airflow. And there's probably going to be a band. Uh, there right? will there will be a band. Uh, there was also a band at our previous uh, energy bond raising at the Genesis Club. 
and uh, it, it rocked, and it will be sure to rock again, and food, and the general party and brouhaha. Very cool, very cool. Well, and and we're gonna, we'll link to the Energy Burn Raising website and a very sweet video of the last Energy Burn Raising starring, among others, Heather McKenzie. <laughs> um, I actually wanted to read a, uh, a thing here, a comment here that we got via the Facebook. Because um, I posted saying that there was no green jobs on this week's show and no green jobs because, um, unfortunately, our two green jobs guru guys could not be on this week. We're going to stop committing to talking about anything on the show in advance because there's always some sort of a problem. You know, some weeks our cup runneth over. We have two awesome guests, and some weeks we have nothing. Um, and uh, uh, Trave M. Harmon. Do you know Trave M. Harmon? I do not. He's one of our Facebook friends who is who's a person who I guess has watched the show. Says, no green jobs. You serious? Have you talked to anyone in the IT sector? So I guess there must be green jobs in the IT sector locally also. Do you know about this? <laughs> I wish he had gone a little further. <laughs> we'll find out. We'll nice. find out. Anyway, um, but one of the possible green jobs people talk about is like weatherization. Uh, so anyway, so I, uh, this is just like cool. This is like less like weatherization as a job, more like do-it-yourself weatherization. Right, yeah. That's like the really important aspect of it is not only like us, you know, bringing this in, but also like everyone else from the community, there are so many people who like sign up and they have all of these skills to share and it's just this really great learning experience and like just the Worcester community is so like awesome for this um, and it's just like th everybody knows something that's great for you know saving energy and you know helping the community, helping bring the community up and just saving the environment, it's really like really awesome. And so we're hoping to eventually collaborate um, with a bunch of different groups in Worcester um, because one of our biggest issues is money, <laughs> um, and <laughs> we don't really have a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so we're, you know, trying to incorporate, you know, um, other organizations into our group and our like mission statement, um, like Worcester Roots and the REC and other groups like that, in an effort to make sure that we can just keep doing this. Um, and keep finding out what other awesome things Worcester has to offer. You know who can probably also tell, tell us something about environmentalism in Worcester? Who? D Drew Drew Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> what's your what's wh Drew? Are you here to talk about vegetarian renaissance today? Of course I am, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> lay, lay it lay it on me, man. So um, one really neat thing that happened this week is Al Gore actually um, made the first announcement or the first mentioned publicly of factory farming. Um, it was a 30-second clip on SNL saying that we need to stop factory farming. It was the end of his sketch, and um, he said we need to stop factory farming and support sustainable agriculture. Is this because of environmental impacts? Um, obviously, yes, it is. He talks about um, uh, uh, global climate change all the time, and since he he put out his film, um, uh, this morning, by, by the way, this morning on Wormtown Taxi, Jeff Barnard pointed out that since he made his film Inconvenient Truth. He gained a lot of weight. I'm not, sure how, I'm not sure how this is relevant, but... <laughs> well, that's great. Well, maybe Jeff Barnard should become a vegetarian and lose some weight since he saw that no, film. No, actually, Al Gore. Oh, Al Gore. <laughs> Al Gore. <laughs> Possibly also Jeff Barnard. We can figure this Well, Al Gore is notorious for not mentioning vegetarianism or not mentioning factory farming when talking right. about his critique right. of, of global climate change, even though the organization that he's partnered with 
the what is it the intergovernmental panel on climate change is that right um he they were the two that won the Glo uh, the nobel peace prize together um and their rec their what their finding was was that the largest cause of global warming was raising animals for food um but he hasn't acknowledged that in any of his activism until now which is it's pretty awesome and it's finally coming out but it's 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 unfortunate that it's taken so long yeah you know it's actually it's interesting i don't know if you know uh, uh, lord stern the famous british climate change guy he, he, he wrote a very famous report for the British government about this. Um, he actually, a couple of weeks ago, made a similar comment about becoming vegetarian. Although I just listened to a, a long talk he did about the Copenhagen stuff, and he didn't mention this at all. So I don't know if this is just something in passing. But anyway, so how does it connect to Worcester, Drew Wilson? Well, um, the, the fall semester for students is going to be ending pretty soon. So what we're going to be doing at Veg Worcester is we're going to be stepping up our outreach efforts and talking about vegetarianism and environmentalism, trying to get some flyers out to students before the end of the year. And uh, and what, what, we're, what we're going to announce on the show today, right, Mike, is that you and I are going to commit to um, <laughs> um, a couple of days of outreach, giving out flyers at some of the colleges in Worcester. We've done this in the past. Um, I went to WPI and we used to do this all the time, um, handing out flyers on the campus, encouraging kids to think about vegetarianism and give it a shot. Mm -hmm. um, so what, what do you say, Mike? When are we going to do it? Whenever, dude. 24-7. <laughs> 24-7. Um, I guess maybe we'll post it on... on uh, we'll post it on VegWorcester.com. Awesome. And should, if any of you want to help out, you should contact Mike or me, and we're going to be doing it a couple days this, this month. It can be a fun thing to do. Actually, um, I want to read a couple more comments, and then I want to bring it back to our other guests, because we're going to talk about... I think we should talk about drunken college students next. Here's what we, also, we got for comments. Tracy Novick points out the thing about the taxes, says city council set the tax rate and then cleared everything off the table, which brought up several previous hot topics all in the last 45 minutes or so of their meeting. Athena Haddon, our Facebook friend, says, uh, come on down and see me at the Everyday Miracles Peer Recovery Support Center at 25 Pleasant Street. It's our one year anniversary since opening and our first month at the new location, Recovery in Progress. Uh, and uh, I was trying to look up about this, this, uh, this uh, I guess, drug recovery peer support center on Pleasant Street. Have you seen this down there? I know. 25 Pleasant Street. And I noticed that Spectrum Health has their own Twitter feed. <laughs> there you go. All right. So you can learn about, uh, I don't know, addiction treatment in the city of Worcester via Twitter. Um, we got a couple... Uh, That's because if there's one thing I'm addicted to, it's Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> internet, the new Internet Addiction Recovery Center. Um, I wanted to talk about, also we got some good comments on our show about journalism. Last week, last week we do, we, uh, Brent and I went to a WPI class, and we talk, a journalism class, and we talked to a, a veteran Worcester journalist about oh. the future of journalism in Worcester. What we can do, and uh, Nicole, who has doing, been doing this awesome citizen journalism stuff this stuff week. Stuff she's doing is actually kind of amazing. It is kind of amazing, yeah. and I'm totally behind on reading everything this week, so I have not been reading it, but just even just like the concepts of it is awesome. Uh, she talks about, you know, vir the, the virtual assignment desk uh, comment, and um, Noah Bombard, who I guess is now at the Fitchburg I believe so. paper, uh, mention, you know, mentions that the reality is that, like, uh, you know, uh, newspapers are cutting back on staffing, and so they're not going to be able to staff uh, coverage like they should, which is the idea of this virtual assignment desk. The idea is that somebody, somebody, possibly somebody with authority says, here's the things that would be nice to see covered, here's the little bits and pieces that people should put together, and if you put this together, we'll give you a forum or we'll help promote the fact that we're sort of covering all the angles of some story. 
Um, One of the things that our friend Nicole actually did this week was interview the um, founder uh, and I guess the head of iBrattleboro.com, which is just that's a small uh, community-run uh, citizen journalism product in Brattleboro, Vermont. Uh, and the assignment desk is actually the feature of the, the site. Now, they, they, they're doing a ton of publishing. They have a ton of articles coming out and a uh, large number of volunteers uh, and regular contributors. But they pick and choose what they want to be covering based on this assignment desk that's you know regularly updated uh, lists all of the boards and meetings that they think you know should be covered locally um, you know any sort of hot topics that need to be covered some of them are trivial some of them are, are pretty pretty meaningful but just the idea of breaking down the entire tech community uh, to something that that journalists or citizen journalists can pick apart yes. and decide what they actually want to be uh, actively reporting on Bite-sized pieces is, can be key. Bite-sized pieces is is key, and whether it's just notes or you know a, actual reporting uh, on events, um, they kind of cover everything up there. Well, I wanted to, so I want to I want to nominate Nicole for creating the first virtual assignment desk. <laughs> so Nicole, figure out a story that you care about this week. Put out a blog post. You can use the WorcesterActives.org wiki I, you, if you, you need, need to. to catch up, we catch up on what she's done this week. I mean, she's gone up to Holy Cross interviewing students up there. She's been over to WPI interviewing people over there. She needs to tell me what to do. That's what I'm saying. She needs to tell. She needs to tell the rest of us what to do on this story. <laughs> what are the little bits and pieces she doesn't have the time to figure out? What mm -hmm. are the uh, events or what are the places people can go? What are the perspectives that we need on this? Make a list, and then if you get 10% of the things on that list. You move the story she's going to tell you to go mow her lawn while she's out reporting. <laughs> <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> that could be that could be good. So drunken college students. Drunken college students. Tell me, lay, lay this issue on me. Uh, Holy Cross, I mean, this has been going on for a while now. It's been going on for years, depending on, on, on who you talk to. Um, it, things kind of came to a head last week. There was a, it was actually, I'm sorry, it was the same week that we were over at WPI. The same day we were over at WPI, there was a big meeting up at Holy Cross between uh, residents, the school, and a few city councilors were involved, trying to discuss how we can get uh, off-campus off students um, to stop partying uh, so much. In the eyes of the Carrow Street neighborhood residents, um, the Holy Cross students who do not live on campus are just destroying their lives. Uh, and the thing that I, I find really interesting is that all of the blame is being put on the school, which I guess on a very basic level kind of makes sense. You know, they're, they're students. Except the for, school. well, Rosalie Chola blamed it on the students being, a the lot Irish. of them being Irish. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, uh, say but, no more. But I think there's a, a big logic problem with blaming the school for the actions of the students because one, they're all adults, right? I mean, if you're old enough to drive a tra drive a tank, uh, you're you're old enough to be out getting arrested or being treated like an adult. Right. Um, the other thing is, the students are are in particular they're living off campus, so they're acting outside of the scope of the institution, right? I mean, there's not much Holy Cross can actually do to to someone who's li even if they're just across the street. It's no different than when they go home in the summer to Iowa, you know, you can't have, you know, Iowa calling up, you know, the town calling up Holy Cross saying, here, students are running amok out here. Holy Cross is not actually a governmental organization that controls the... No, it's just an institution that's dealing with customers. In this case, it's customers or adults, and they're dealing, uh, they're, they're acting, whether it's appropriate or inappropriately, they're acting outside the scope of control of the institution. Um, you know, th there's an argument to be made that maybe Holy Cross has a moral obligation to, you know, help the city deal with its students, but it certainly doesn't have a legal obligation, which is interesting because the city of Worcester actually does have a legal obligation to provide public safety to its residents up on Carrow Street, and it would seem that for the only parties that should really be involved would be the residents up there, the residents of the, of the school who live off campus and then the city and the city and the, the neighborhood associations up there need to figure out a way to deal with the students as residents of the city or any other poorly behaved resident whether that means bringing up 
school buses and making mass arrests or whatever. You know, I mean, they could go as far as they want to, or you know, they could do do as little as they want. But really, bringing I think bringing Holy Cross, uh, the administration, in, into the conversation, uh, at least unwillingly, is is unfair and it's kind of illogical. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, I think I think it makes sense to me to say if you were to say, um, you know. The Holy Cross Institution has a unique connection to these students, mm -hmm. and maybe that's like a better way to work through it than go, going through the police, for example. Sure. But to, but to then turn around and blame the administration right. and say, well, you're actually not only, like, to, to say the administration could be helpful is one thing, to say the administration is at fault. Well, one of the interesting things, too, is that the, the city has kind of done that already, where, or the school has done that on their own. They're paying for two private police details every weekend to just hang around the Carroll Street neighborhood uh, the same way you would have police officers at a bar, say. Right. Um, they're, they're details paid for by the school to keep an eye on the neighborhood, and they're not making any arrests. They're not... You know, they're, they're That's sweet, though. The neighborhood's being run as an open-air saloon. <laughs> Basically, it's being run as an open-air saloon. But what's interesting is that there are no arrests coming from this. So either the neighbors are, you know, kind of missing something, and they're perceiving uh, something as being a problem when it actually isn't, or the police are, are just, you know, scoffing at, at you know, what, what is being described as Mardi Gras and turning their backs. I don't think the latter is probably the case. I'm sure the police would love to have the opportunity to help the neighbors crack down on something that is, you know, vicious and out of control. Uh, so there, there's, there's some big questions as to what is actually going on up there. Um, you know, are there some major perception problems? Um, or is there just a complete lack of understanding of how the city and residents should be dealing with problem residents? I'll tell you what my, I feel like my personal virtual assignment should be is go to a lot of Holy Cross parties and find out or not, whole, yeah, I'm find out what's going on. I haven't been invited to any of these parties. I mean, again, to have something described as Mardi Gras here in Worcester, and I am not invited to it, I find that shameful and am very, very upset. I've li I think I've lived here long enough to be invited to Mardi Gras. Now that our show's on Facebook, our show should totally be invited to Holy Cross parties. And we'll, serious, <laughs> we'll, seriously, we'll seriously do this. We we'll might come. We'll do shows. Up. We'll do 508 from Caro Street, and we'll get arrested <laughs> together. We'll find out. Laissez-les, bon temps, roulez. I wanted to ask, do you want to ask these guys as... as College student, recent college grad. Because uh, so Scott, you're from WPI. You you went to WPI, right? I did. Recently graduated. And uh, uh, Brendan, you were saying WPI is historically the the worst neighborhood relations well, as far no, as partying. Well, no, I think they've had good neighborhood relations over the last <coughs> couple of years. But I mean, there there used to be some pretty tense relationships between some mm -hmm. of the, especially fraternities and you know the neighborhoods that they, they they that kind of surrounded them. But I think WPI has been a good job of getting those fraternities actively involved with the neighborhoods. So if there are problems, they have someone to go to. They have point people inside the fraternities themselves to actually deal with directly if anything comes up, whether and, it's and parking issues or stealing 20 foot tall Christmas trees. They at least have uh, student representatives to yeah. deal with. And there was wasn't there like there was an there was a bunch of arrests at at least one party around WPI last year, right? Where they exactly. found some marijuana and there was a little underage drinking. And Very well, could have been. We uh, talked about it. In this the is show, something we do every fall. It's tough I don't to keep know. Track. Doesn't matter. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, well, you know, I, I, what I'd be most curious about is when you were at WPI or while well, you're at Clark. Do you, do you get a sense that? Uh, a large number of the students even realize that there are like community relation issues between uh, the, the student body and the the city as a whole. I'm often you know, wondering whether or not the students even realize, you know, the majority of the students, not the ones who are really active in the community, but the majority of students, they even know that like the city might not like them very much. <laughs> That's I've actually found that um, a lot of like the, the partying crowd would actually um, often have the mentality that um, why would you decide to live in a neighborhood with a fraternity if you wanted to sleep at night? And um, while I guess that um, is a, a relatively, um, it's a good question. If you, I mean, you must understand that fraternities are out late, but um, at the same time, it is it is tough to be a neighbor of uh, 
of an organization that um, makes its makes its living off of you know partying and staying up night and loud music and things like that. So makes it tough for the neighborhood, I'm sure. Um, at Clark, I don't really. I mean. No, you're probably under 21 as a sophomore. I, yes. So you never drink alcohol or go to these parties, <laughs> so you don't really know. <laughs> um, I... <laughs> no, I'm sorry, that I laughed. I wasn't... <laughs> <laughs> this is the part where we just harass our guests. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think um, that there's so much... All of Where people from Clark who live off campus live, it's like right there you know we have like a very small um, like population or you know like number of undergraduates and a lot of most people who live off campus but still attend Clark um, and are still somewhat like under their like discretion I guess or jurisdiction uh, all live very close by and the university police are very um, conscious about like going around there so I think that we think of it as more like a university thing, and I don't really know how much we connect it to the people who live in the community around us who aren't college kids, because I think we live in this like microcosm, and it's just we're all college kids, and it's yeah. great. Yeah, I uh, guess that's kind of what it was getting at. I mean, it's the you know at every university in the, or every college in the city, there's always going to be a small group of people who are incredibly involved with the community, and it, some of them stick around, but some of them just you know they they want to be involved with the community. But like any group, the vast majority are not necessarily connected to anything in particular, and I just often wonder whether or not they realize that you know how not necessarily that they're causing a problem because I personally don't think that there is a big we're a college town. I mean, things are going to certain things go with that, but just the idea that um, that a lot of the neighborhood uh, associations and, and whatnot don't actually appreciate that the college students are here, which is bizarre because it's a huge resource. I mean, 36,000 people within the consortium and whatnot, um, and if anything, I would argue that it's probably our fault as residents, not the college's fault, for the lack of engagement between the two. Um, but it's, hard, it's sometimes hard to put a finger on the pulse of the student body to see whether or not they actually understand that, you know, in, in certain cases they're frowned upon, just their mere presence is frowned upon. That's all I got. All right. Well, I want to talk about I want to talk about one other party neighborhood, and then I want to talk about a couple of fun things coming up this weekend. The other party neighborhood, of course, is the is the Pip neighborhood in Maine South. And I was talking to Bruce Russell yesterday, our, mm -hmm. our frequent guest on the show, who uh, lives about two blocks from the Pip, mm -hmm. right on that stretch of Main Street. And you know, the Pip recently changed their policies as far as how do you go in there, and they're now running people sort of more formally through the social service system and getting them caseworkers. Do you guys know about the Pip shelter there on Main Street? So, you know, so, uh, uh, and I asked Bruce, like, has the neighborhood calmed down in the, whatever, the months since this has happened? He says he's seen no change. Hmm. One data point. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, and so we got two, uh, two, a couple of fun things coming up. Uh, do you remember when we had Mark Lund on this podcast? This is the part where I just ask people questions and they're like, If no, I say I don't no, know. does it make me a horrible person? We talked to him about Karen Shea stuff. He was the other oh, yeah, guy, yeah, yeah. The, not the blogger guy. Yeah, yes. the, the, uh, the, the sort of figure skating expert yes. and, and thespian and whatever. He um, he is working for Becker now, and he is, uh, maybe you saw the article in Worcester Magazine recently. He's, he's uh, uh, recreated the Becker Theater Department <laughs> after 20 years of no theater at Becker. And uh, I said you should, you can be on the show, and then we've totally blown it and never had him on the show about this um, until running through the next running through this weekend at uh, Becker. According to this, in the Leicester campus, um, they're doing two plays, Antigone Now and Breakfast. So people should go check that out. Our good friend Mark Lund. Sorry, Mark. Next next thing that you do, we'll be there. 
Also, start at the station is Sunday? Sunday, yes. Do you guys know about start at the station? Yeah. Brandon Milliken. Oh, start on the station. Are you familiar with Start on the Street? Yes. Okay, it's the same group that runs Start on the Street, except they uh, hold the festival indoors, uh, free of charge, at Union Station. Okay. So it's a huge number of artists and, and vendors uh, and creative types have their wares for sale and display uh, throughout the uh, main hall in uh, Union Station. And really good time. Very holiday oriented. Yes, it's a good time. It's a, it's a really good time. And what time is that good time? Um, that's an excellent question. Sunday afternoon. Sunday afternoon. <laughs> Noon to five. Noon to five. Are you, you going to be tabling? Uh, I don't have a table for Veg Worcester, but I am psyched to see some of the vendors. Sia will have her triple decker shirt, which I'm really psyched to see. <laughs> you guys have seen that? No yeah. way. <laughs> it's like this. It's a characteristic three decker um, that she had made a screen out of and printed a bunch of shirts. Oh, um, she has a bunch of awesome Worcester, Worcester shirts that she's printing. Excellent. Check out Sia's table. We need to get Sia on this show. Is there anything else going on this weekend or that's been news-wise that we need to talk have about? Have you seen the new Christmas tree? The new the new holiday tree? No. It's absurd. It this is, is a plastic one? This is a plastic one. It is so perfectly symmetrical that if you stand at it from a distance, uh, it's impossible to not think that it's a giant butt plug sitting on the Worcester <laughs> Common. It is, it, it's, it's, it's astounding. It is not... I, I don't know what it is. It's why have I see, not seen these photos on the internet? Because um, I... Well, here's why. Yesterday when I was down there looking at it, I actually lost my cell phone on the Common. Um, and then, I, I, in a panic, I ran out... No air horn for us no this morning. Um, yeah, in a panic, I ran inside to the information desk at City Hall, and some kind soul had actually returned my uber-expensive cell phone to uh, the information desk at City Hall, reaffirming my faith in humanity. Um, but in that time in between when I was without my cell phone, I could not obviously take pictures. But yeah, it's just an absurd Christmas tree. All right, or holiday tree, or whatever we're calling it now. Yeah. By the way, happy Advent, everybody. Um, <laughs> well, I want to thank everybody for being on the show today. Drew Wilson. <laughs> Thanks. Heather McKenzie. Thank you. Scott Guzman. Brendan Malik. Pleasure is all mine. Do we have anything else today? Any other last minute stuff? Don't forget the energy barn raising. Check out the video. Weatherize your house. Get all. Woo church. Woo church. Woo church. 11 to 5 tomorrow. Uh, 11 to 5 Saturday. All right, guys. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>